Thanks for listening to our Market Street podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more information, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Oh, man, we hope you have just a, the, a fantastic day today, Valentine's Day. Every, every day is Valentine's Day, right? In, in your household, every day is treated the same way, no different. It's just recognized so that, you know, Hallmark can sell some cards and, and you can get some extra candy and all that good stuff. So, um, but yeah, so where, you know, you, maybe you've heard this before. You've heard, you know, you've heard the, you know, the idea of the KISS method, right? Have you ever heard the KISS method? The KISS method? The KISS method is, is simply this. Here's what the KISS method is. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Keep it simple. So if you're like, if you're looking at somebody else, but, but we're Christians, we don't want to say stupid, right? That's just not nice. And you know, don't, don't tell your spouse, keep it simple, stupid, right? You've never, nobody's ever said that before. So we're going to change it. We're going to change it to the KISK. I, I call, I pronounce it the KISK method. And here's the KISK method. It is keep it simple, Cupid. That's what the KISK method is. Keep it simple, Cupid. So that's really what today is about. Today is about when it comes to love, when it comes to love, loving others, and in light of Valentine's Day, you know, t- typical topic of conversation, right? Uh, w- keep it simple. Let's, ju- let's just try to figure out what it means, what it looks like when it comes to love, to how to keep it simple. And here's a statement. Now, here's a statement that Jesus ne- never said. Je- here's a statement Jesus never said. Jesus never said the statement, I love you. He never, he never said the statement, I love you. He never, he never told any of his disciples specifically, hey, I love you. I love you. You know, you know, like when Nick was in the Pizza Hut and, uh, and he was looking at Ashley and, you know, the, the breadsticks were coming and Nick said, I love you. And, and, and we say that. We tell, our, we tell our significant others that. We tell the people, our, our kids, we tell our family, I love you. I love you. G is never a recorded statement that Jesus would turn to anybody or face anybody or look at anybody and say, I love you. I love you. He never, he never said that, but he always showed it. He always showed it. It was almost like he didn't have to say, I love you because he always demonstrated it. He always exhibited it. He always showed it in, in, in a, in a, in a, in, in these areas. Now, years ago, Almost 30 years ago, a guy wrote a brilliant book, and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've read it, and hopefully you're still applying these principles in your relationships, and, and, and mainly it was written for, uh, you know, marriage relationships, um, but, it, you know, you could apply these principles to all relationships, you can apply these principles, you know, to, you know, how you relate to your children, how do you relate to, you know, coworkers? How do you relate to, you know, strangers? You can, you can apply these, your neighbors. You can relate and apply these, these types of approaches to love. Uh, he wrote a book, uh, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. The Five Love Languages. You've, you've probably heard of it. There's, there's five types of ways in which you express or you communicate love to one another. So about 30, almost 30 years ago, this book came out, and hopefully, maybe it's for you, is a, uh, a ri- reminder of what these five 
you know, love languages are and what they should look like in your relationships. Hopefully, that's what it is. But really, that's what, it, what it's about. It's about, keep, let's try to figure out how to keep it simple, Cupid. Let's how to keep it simple, Cupid. Let's figure out how we can best love one another. That obviously was a, was a, a statement. Jesus would, would make this statement. He said, hey, you know what? All the laws, what all the commandments, what all the prophets, what everything was, it, it's, it's simply about loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the second is like it. He says that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You love one another as much as you love yourself. And Jesus summed it up into one commandment. And he says, a new commandment that I give unto you, that you love one another as I have demonstrated my love for you. So Jesus, obviously, it was obvious to them that he loved them. It was obvious to every single person that had an experience or an encounter with Jesus that he loved them, even though he never said, I love you. He always showed it. And he showed it in these five love languages. The first one is, the, is, the, is words. Words. Okay? Words. Uh, Ephesians. What does is, what is the Apostle Paul say about our words? Apostle Paul says, let no unwholesome word Proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So Paul says, you know, what Jesus showed us, what Jesus demonstrated for us, this is what it looks like when it comes to our words. Let no unwholesome, let no crude, let, let no, you know, you know, vile thing proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification. What does he mean by edification? Edification means encouragement. Encouragement. The only thing that should proceed out of our mouth is the idea of, of encouragement. That, that we, and, the, and, and all of us, all of us, you know, every person, all of us have areas where we lack secure, security, where we feel insecure, Right? All of us have our, have our spots where we feel weak and vulnerable and insecure. What we ought to be doing within our relationship dynamics is that we ought to be edifying one another. Let no unwholesome word, let no vile word, let no trash proceed out of our mouth. But only, only that is encouragement to give, to give what is needed in that moment, which, is, which Paul says is grace, to show grace of what is needed in that moment. So edification is encouragement. What does that do for somebody? It builds them up. So edification means to build up, to build up. So when you give somebody encouragement where they feel like they're low, where they feel insecure, what, when you give encouragement, you're building them up to the status and the position that God sees them. Edification is also empathy. It's empathy. It's recognizing that somebody somebody's perspective it's it's recognizing and seeing somebody else's point of view we are because of our nature we only see our point of view we only see things in our perspective but paul says listen when it, when it comes to our words what we need to be edifying which means we need to be encouraging but we also when it comes to our words we need to consider others first 
We need to think about them first. We need to think about their circumstances. We need to think about their situations. We need to think about what they're going through. We need to think about what they're dealing with. We must think in, in terms of empathy for other people. 1 Corinthians 13, and we, we talked a little bit about this last week if you were watching or, or here in the room. We talked about this, this idea of 1 Corinthians 13, and this is the whole chapter. We call it the love chapter, right? There's a statement in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that I think is helpful when it comes to our words, okay? Helpful when it comes to our words. Here's what he, te- he tells us, and this is a little bit of a paraphrase just for time and simplicity purposes. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says love, he's talking about love. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not take into an account a wrong suffered. So what love it does is love doesn't take into account the things that we or others specifically do wrong. And so what we're good at, and I got to grab it real quick. I know I'm off camera. But what we do is that we take our files and we store all the things that somebody has done to us or said about us or treated us and we store those memories or those experiences into the wrong account, right? So you have your, maybe at home you have your storage bin where you keep track of your, your accounts and, and, the, and your bills and the things that you have to. And so what happens is, is that oftentimes we are mistreated or people, you know, we get, you know, frustrated and we, are, we account for our bad or our wrong experiences. And so when something happens and tensions rise again, what we do is that we open up our wrong file accounts and we rehash those things that happened years ago, right? So we open our files up and we go through and say, hey, we pull one record out and we say, hey, remember, you know, back in March of you know, 2016, you did this, right? Or, and we go to our other file and we say, hey, you know, hey, remember back, you know, three years ago, we were in this place and, you know, you said this. And what happens is, is that we keep an account of wrongs and we use our words to pull those records back out again. And love, he says, does not take into an account a wrong suffered. In other words, love doesn't file the wrongs that your spouse or your colleague or your, uh, uh, your, your child or, or a neighbor. Wrong, or love doesn't take into account the wrongs that they've done. That's not what love does. What we should do is we should take into an account the rights that they do. That's what we should do. We should take into account all the things that they did well or right, how they took care of you in, in certain situations or how, what, a, a comment that they made towards you that was positive and edifying. What we should be doing is we should be keeping an account of the rights so that when, it's, when it matters most, like when there's tensions rise, when there's hurt, when, there's, when you feel you know, mistreated, when, 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 when you, you know, get accused of something that you didn't do, what you're pulling from is no longer the account of wrongs. 
What you're pulling from so that you can move on and show grace, you're pulling from the accounts of the things that are right. So instead, love keeps an account of the rights. Love does not keep an account of the wrongs that we do. So when we use our words, let's keep an account of the rights. So we pull from an experience that was positive. We pull from an experience that was good. We pull from experiences that was real and, and, and helpful and edifying. At a time when they were encouraging. At a, a time when they, were, they considered you before they considered themselves. Even though in that moment they may have considered themselves first. But you pull from an account of the things that were right at the time. At the time. The second language is the language of time. Time. Now time is not just quantity, but it's quality. It's quality, not quantity. It's intimacy, not proximity. It's intimacy, not proximity. It's quality, not quantity. It's intimacy, not proximity. Now, here's what this one, I think, mostly involves. This one mostly involves listening, not speaking. So the first one is words. The second one is time, but it when it comes to your quality time and when it comes to intimate time, it means listening over speaking. James says it this way in James 1.19. This you know. So this is what James would say we should already know. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak. When we were in, like, shutdown, shutdown, you know, back in March, April, um, one of the things that happened was is that, and you, you know, it brought everybody back into the house, right? It brought everyone home, and we were home. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do. So one of the things that my wife and I would do, and that one of the things that we told each other while we were doing it is that we, we should never forget this moment. We should never forget. And we would, we would go on walks together. We would go on walks. And we would go on walks, and, you know, for, for different purposes, you know, mainly just to, just to stay connected, to stay, stay connected, to keep that, that, that time, that quality time, keep that intimacy where it needs to be. And so we would, now, we would walk quick. We would walk quick because the secondary purpose was to, you know, make sure that we didn't, you know, put on the, the COVID-19 pounds or whatever, you know, it is. So, so that was the, the one, one reason. So we would walk quick, but we were slow about getting back home because our kids were there. So, so we would walk quick. And we would have that time, that quality time, where we would spend together and walk and, you know, talk and, and you, know, you know, connect in that way. But then we would be slow about coming back because we had to deal with our kids. And so this is what it looks like when it comes to listening. And this is what it looks like when it comes to time. It, it, it's the idea that, listen, I'm going to be, I want to be quick to hear, quick to hear, but slow to speak. So when it comes to your time with your spouse or, or, or a friend, a friend or, or whoever it may be, that we ought to be people that say, you know what, what helps in this intimacy, 
What helps in the, in the quality of this is not to me, for me to be so much of a speaker, but a listener. I'm really bad at this. I'm really bad. Because when my wife wants to tell me something that's like an issue or a problem, my job is to offer solutions. That's my job, or that's what I do for a living. Somebody comes to me, they have an issue, they have a problem, they want me to try to solve it for them. That doesn't work in a marriage relationship. So I'm always like, okay, I'm, I'm listening to the problem, listening to the problem. You know, I let her talk for like five minutes and then I'm ready with a solution to the problem. I'm ready, I'm ready. Uh, what, this is what you gotta do. This is what you, this is what has to be. And then solved, you know, right? And if you know, if you're, you know, a, a spouse and you're like, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So we have to be better about being intent listeners, intent listeners. How do we do that? Intent listening. Number one, no external interruptions. No external interruptions. Don't allow other things outside of the conversation that you're having with the person. Don't let those external interruptions you know, get in the way of the necessary quality time that is needed. Don't let those external interruptions get in the way of the intimacy that needs to be built over, just because you're in the same room together or in the same house together doesn't mean intimacy is being built. So we must be intent listeners and, and, and not allow external interruptions. My, my daughter, Sarah, her, her love language is quality time. This is what we're talking about. It's quality time. And so whenever I'm, you know, with her, it, it, you know, she wants my attention. She wants my undivided attention. I can't be on my phone. I can't be watching something. I can't be, you know, you know doing other things like cleaning up or, or whatever the case may be. She needs my full attention. So this is what oftentimes we all need, really, when it comes to quality time. You, your significant other, your spouse, a relationship, they deserve your undivided attention. If you've got multiple things going on and if you're trying to be in tune to other things that are happening, you're not giving the full attention to the person that needs it the most. No external interruptions. No internal interjections. No internal interjections. In other words, when they're speaking, you're not. When they're speaking, you're not. You're, you're listening. That's what you're doing. So no internal interjections. Listen, and here's why we do that. Because our brains think four times faster than the person is talking. So your thoughts are working four times faster than the person that's talking. So here's oftentimes how we listen. We listen to respond instead of listen to understand. So we have to listen to understand and not only to respond. Listen to understand and not only to respond. We're not good at that. We're not good at that. We, we're, in our culture today, we're not good at listening to understand. We're only listening so that we can think of a way to how we can respond that sort of goes with our feelings and our, you know, preferences and our biases. We must do a better job, especially Christians. 
We must do a better job at being quick to hear and slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak when it comes to the time that we spend with others. This is a way that we love. This is a way that we love. And James would say, you should know this. You should know this. That this should be a mark of a Jesus follower. That a mark of a Jesus follower listens to understand and not just to respond. This is a mark. Quick to hear, slow to speak. The third one is this, gifts. Gifts. Um, if you're a spender, this is no problem. If you're a spender, no big deal. You, you, wherever you're at, you, wherever you're doing, wherever you go, you, you're, you're, if you're a spender, this is no problem. If you're a savior, saver, problem. If you're a saver, problem. So I, for a spender, the, you, you, this is a mute point. But for a saver, this is sometimes a problem. But here's the way that we need to look at when it comes to gifts or, or showing, loves by, showing love by giving gifts. We sometimes need to look at it as an investment, as an investment. So if you're a saver, you're going, oh, man, I got to like everywhere I go, I got to buy a gift. Every time I come home, I got to buy a gift. I got to think about, you know. Sometimes we need to look at it as an investment. So when you're, when you're out and about and you're thinking about somebody else and you, if you're a spender, no big deal. But if you're a saver, you're like, oh. but what this is, is an investment for a greater return in the relationship, especially if their language is gifts. It's an investment. It's an investment. If, if their language is getting gifts and you're a saver, if you know, you're, you're somebody that's you know, keeping things tight and, 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 and that's, that's wise and, and you should do that and there should be, you know, and we'll talk about what, what this looks like at the end, but, but oftentimes as a saver, we need to think of them as an investment. So, and, and also, it doesn't have to be, you know, purchased. For, so, for example, a present, a gift or a present, it can be purchased or not. Purchased or not. You buy it or, you know, find something, you know, picking flowers or whatever the case may be. Something that you, you know, see somewhere and that you, you know, you get for free and you want to pass it along to somebody else. So, for somebody that has the language of, of receiving gifts, it can be purchased or not. Here's what else it should be. It should be personal. It should be personal. Aren't those the best gifts? Those, those gifts that are personal, that somebody spends time and energy and effort putting those gifts together, they, they should be personal. And they should be practical. They should be practical. If you're, you know, if you're not in the financial state of buying your wife a car, like, that's not very practical, right? Like, if you, like that's just not something that, if you're not in that position to do that, even though you think, wow, I'm giving her a car, but, and she's going, what are you doing buying me a car? We, you know, we can't afford, it, it's not practical. So presents, they, they can be purchased or not. They should be personal, but they also should be practical. The greatest gift that was given to us was by God. It says this in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. The greatest gift that you and I have ever received was a gift that Jesus purchased his life for us. 
And it was a gift that was given to us for free. But it wasn't without a cost. It was his life that he gave for you and for me. Another fourth one is um, the area of service. Service. I won't spend a lot of time on this because we, I talked a lot about this last week. So if, if you didn't listen to last week, you should listen to last week. But service, service. What does this require? What does serving require? Three things. It requires your thought. It requires your thought. It means, in other words, when it comes to serving others, you need to think about how you can serve them. You need, there needs to be some thought to it. Okay? You need to think through, like, what are the needs? What, what can I do? How can I figure out a way? So there needs to be, you need, we need to think through how we can best serve other people. It, it's going to require time. It's going to require time. And I know this is our, one of our biggest, most valuable commodities these days. Where we've, we've made room and we've made time for other things, but we haven't made time for serving. We, it, it requires some time. And my suggestion my suggestion, and I'll tell you why at the end, my suggestion is you should carve out time for this. And it's gonna require, the third thing, it's gonna require some tenacity on your part. It's gonna require effort. It's gonna require work. But I'm telling you, the payoff is worth it. The payoff is worth it. The last one is this. We're just trying to keep it simple, Cupid. Keep it simple, Cupid. Okay? Is touch, touch. Now, Maybe in COVID world, we put this in a, in a pin on this one. No. But when it comes to marriage relationships, maybe this is, you, your wife needs a hug. Your wife needs a kiss. When it comes to friendships, maybe a fist bump. Maybe an elbow bump or something along those lines. But, but the, this, it, there is, it's a love language that people have. It's a love language people have. Jesus exhibited this. Look at it says in Matthew 8 too. A leper came to him, somebody that nobody would ever come near. I mean, talk about six foot man. This was like, Nobody would want to be in the same room as a leper. A leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you make me clean. You can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty with the people that no one wanted to be around. Jesus was willing to do that. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. It's how he demonstrated love. I think all five of these are, are expressed in this one passage here. This one passage here. John 13, you know, that, you know this, John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would, would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them too the end. What was Jesus doing here? Jesus was spending time, quality time, with people. Jesus spent quality time with people. And he spent that quality time knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart, but he, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus spent quality time with his people. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up, verse 4, he got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. So the setting is that they're in this room, they're, having, they're getting ready to have this meal together, right? And he wanted just to spend some quality time with him before he was going to depart the, to the Father. And so 
what was, tra- what was you know, tradition at that time is that anybody that walked into a room before they ate, you know, they didn't have chairs. So a lot of them would sit on the floor, you know, and they would have to, there would be a, somebody, a servant in the room that would wash people's feet. Well, there was nobody there to wash their feet and nobody, none of the disciples were eager to get up and start washing feet. And so Jesus decided, I'm going to get up from the supper and I'm going to lay aside my garments and I'm going to take a towel and I'm going to put it on myself. And it says this in verse five, then he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So now Jesus is literally serving them and he's touching their feet. They're gross, dirty, smelly feet. We wear socks and shoes, and I guarantee you, a majority of us in this room would not want to touch somebody else's feet. But Jesus poured water into a bowl and began washing the feet, serving his guys, touching them physically when the feet Verse 6, so he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like Peter's like, this is uncomfortable. Lord, you wash my feet? And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And so Jesus has given him some words. He's saying, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. In other words, if, if, if I don't serve you, if I don't touch your feet and wash your feet, you, you, you're not going to be able to experience all that I have for you. You're not going to experience all that you can experience in this life, being in communion with me and in relationship with me. If you're walking around in this world and your feet are dirty from this world and you're not allowing me to come in and, and wash your feet, and, and, and washing the feet here was symbolic and what he was telling Peter was symbolic of we walk around in this world and we get our feet dirty sometimes, but there's a God who is loving. There's a God who is forgiving. There's a God who is gracious that every time that we come to him and we show him our dirty feet, we go, I got, Lord, I was walking around in this world and I got my feet dirty. He's willing to get a towel with water and wash your feet every single time. And when you can, you and I can get to a place where we say, God, my feet are dirty and I need you to wash them. He's willing to do that for us. He's willing to forgive us. He's willing to forget. And he's willing to get us to move on from this into this life, a life in communion with him. So he's telling Peter, he's affirming Peter with his words. He's affirming Peter with his words. He's encouraging Peter with his words. Peter, man, if you don't let me do this, you have no part, you can have no communion, no no good, solid, strong relationship with me. And so Peter's response after getting those affirming words Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Like if, it's, if this comes down to me not being able to have a part in what you're doing in this world, if it comes down to me not being able to have good relationship with you, Jesus, a strong communion and union with you, Jesus, then you wash all of it. And Jesus said, no, 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 I just need to wash your feet. Everything else is clean. But every, every now and again, I just need to wash your feet because you walk around in this world and sometimes we get them dirty. 
but I'm here to wash them. Verse 12, it says, so when Jesus, or when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Great question. Do you know what I've done to you? He says, verse 3, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. I'm your Lord. I'm your teacher. He says, if I then, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Literally? Like, literally? Yeah, we've got bowls and towels out in the lobby, so as soon as you leave here, everybody just needs to kick off your shoes and socks, and then somebody will be out. No, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. No, Jesus said, no, 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 not literally, figuratively. He, look what he says in verse 15. For I gave you an, an example. He says, I just gave you an example. You know, because what, what is, you know, relevant in this culture that day and that was washing feet. He says, I'm just giving you an example that you also do as I did to you. I loved you with words. I loved you with touch. I loved you by serving. I loved you with time. He says, I want you to do for others what I did for you. I just gave you an example. But what example are you giving to someone else? And look what Jesus said. Oh, this is so important. Listen, if you know these things, remember James, you should know these things. And James is pulling from brother Jesus and saying, hey, you know, Jesus told us, you should know, you should, if you know these things, you are blessed. In other words, that word blessed, happy. Happy. If you know these things, you are blessed, but you're only blessed, you're only happy if you do them. Oh, I know. I know. Words, time, touch, serve, gift. I, I know you're only going to be happy if you do these things. You're only going to be happy, but you got to do it. We've got to do it. Let's keep it simple, Cupid. There's ways in which you love one another. So a question, or I don't know, a statement, a challenge, or however you want to look at this. What's yours? What's your love language? What's your love language? And if you're with somebody, you should say, what's your love language? So that I can love you in the same language that you want me to love you. I'm not going to love you in my language. I'm going to love you in yours. So what's your love language? And, you, and there should be conversations that happen there. And here's a clue. Here's a clue. Here's a clue. Okay? Here's a clue. Whatever it is that you're critical of, whatever it is that you are, are, you know, get upset about because it's not happening for you, that's probably an indication, that's probably a clue that that's your love language. 
So if you're upset because you're not getting enough hugs, if you're upset because somebody's not serving you, if, some, if you're upset because, you know, somebody's not spending quality time with you, if somebody's upset, if you're upset because, you know, they're not giving you words of affirmation, that, that's, a pro, that's a clue that's, that's your love language. And you should communicate that with the person that isn't speaking your language, but you should also want to know what theirs is too. That's the most important thing. Knowing how to speak their language. Not just knowing how to speak yours. If you do these things, you'll, your relationships will be better. They really will. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your love for us, demonstrating, showing, exhibiting. You never had to you never had to tell us. You never had to say the statement, I love you, because you just demonstrated it. You just showed it. You always just exhibited it. So God, I just pray, Lord, that you just always encourage us to, to love in, in the way that we love one another by, you gave us an example of washing feet, and you, get, you showed us an example of that. But I, I wonder if there's a, something that we can do for others. It's like washing feet, but it's something maybe something more practical and more personal to the, the person that we need to love better. So Lord, help us to communicate those things, to talk about those things and ex express it in a way so that we can have better, more blessed, happier relationships in our life. We just wanna, we just wanna keep it simple, keep it simple. In Jesus' name, amen.